should not believe that. Hello, this is Melissa Libby and welcome to Mom Treading Water. Coming up is my interview with Dr. Michelle May. She is the founder of Am I Hungry? A mindful eating program. Her website is amihungry.com and I'll include that information in the show notes. She is also author of Eat What You Love, Love What You Eat. She is an associate professor at Arizona State University and has also been interviewed for CNN Health, Fitness, Glamour, Health, Parents, Prevention, Self-Time, U.S. Weekend, U.S. News and World Report, Washington Post, WebMD, and Women's Day. That's just to name a few. Now, if you haven't already, please be sure to subscribe, share, and rate Mom Treading Water. You can find us on Facebook under the same name of Mom Treading Water, as well as on YouTube and TikTok. Mom Treading Water is available on all podcast apps. Thank you for your time today. And here is my interview with Dr. Michelle May. Hello, this is Melissa Libby and welcome to Mom Treading Water. Today, I am very excited to introduce Dr. Michelle May. She is the founder of amihungry.com. And she's going to speak with us today discussing eating, talking about eating habits with our children, definitely around some struggles, which I very much can relate to. So without further ado, Dr. May, welcome. Thank you for your time and joining us on Mom Trading Water today. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here and feel free to call me Michelle. Oh, thank you. So Dr. May, you are a, um, you were a physician, correct? A family physician. Yes. Okay. Yes. And so from what I'm understanding is that you had gone through many of struggles around eating and body image. And would you mind speaking a little bit to that? Sure, sure. Yeah, I started struggling when I was a kid. Um, I grew up in a very food focused family. And at the same time, back in the 60s, there was a lot of emphasis on body image, which of course has only gotten worse and worse over the decades. But all of that sort of came together where I developed some disordered eating habits, probably an undiagnosed eating disorder by the time I was in my early teens. And I struggled with that all the way through high school, into college, into medical school. And I was still struggling by the time I had my own kids and was in my own private practice. And then I started seeing a lot of patients who I could identify were having exactly the same kinds of issues around body image and around a conflict about eating and things like that. So it really dawned on me that maybe it wasn't me, that maybe our whole system of trying to manage eating was too flawed to fix. And that really started me on this journey to first heal my own relationship with food. And for the last 22 years, I've been helping others. And in fact, wow. uh, for the last uh, 16, 17 years, I haven't even practiced, practiced medicine anymore. This is all I do is work with people on their relationship with food. So it, I, I have to think at least having that clinical background, it must also help you understand, I guess, that portion around eating. What? Absolutely. Yeah, it was a it was a very non-traditional entry into this field, but my own personal passion plus that professional experience and training has given me some insights and some ability to work on these issues in maybe a way that is uncommon and, and has turned out to be really helpful. 
Yeah. And I, you know what, I think that's such a valid point because I mean, hey, look at me, anyone can share information on social media, but it doesn't always mean that it's correct. That's right. Uh, right. There's something right. to be said for science. <laughs> There's something to be said for science. And I think if anything, social media has been an amazing platform for all kinds of reasons, but it's also a place where people get misinformation. Sometimes, sometimes it's not intentional. Sometimes mm-hmm. the intention is quite good, but what people are sharing is damaging or, or harmful. They, sometimes the people who are sharing it just don't know that yet. Right. No. And I, I think that's a valid point. And even one of my episodes, I, I talk about, I talk about that when people share things, trying to be helpful to other parents on social media, Google medical school is not a real medical school. <laughs> it is not a real medical school. You are not called doctor because you go on Google. You're not. That's right. right? Yeah. And it's important to people who have like yourself, who have that medical history, who have that experience to back it. That, that speaks volumes. You know, and the other thing that's interesting about you bringing that up is that a lot of what I work with for a lot of what I work on with people is helping them become the expert in themselves because diet culture, all the cultural messages, even those that you're getting from your doctor, but a lot of the cultural messages that we're seeing on the news and the traditional media and in magazines, as well as in social media, as well as our friends and family members and acquaintances who have advice for us about eating and exercise and weight and other things. So that's diet culture. Diet culture teaches us that everybody out there knows more than we do about how to take care of ourselves. And a lot of the work I do is around helping people re relearn how to be the expert in themselves, how to learn to listen to their own body wisdom, trust their own body wisdom and use the feedback that they get from their body to help guide their decisions without restriction and deprivation and guilt and a lot of the problems that we see when we're trying to be good instead of trying to feel good. Do you know, I think that I've had type 1 diabetes about 27 years now, knock on wood, no complications. I'm very, very fortunate. I have, I've never been hospitalized except for the day I was born. So, but you're right. That is one thing in having control of a disease like type one diabetes is you have to trust yourself. You have to know your instincts. You have to know what works for your body, your mind. It's an all around picture. So this really is a good match right here. You and I, (laughs) it's a, it's a, you have a great level of insight because of your own personal journey as well. Yeah. So I noticed on your website, you offer so many different options for people, I guess, to, to begin their journey with mindful eating, because it's not just a one size fit all. It it seems like, is that, is that correct? Yeah, that's true. I mean, the, the concepts that I developed when I wrote my first book are around a model that I call the mindful eating cycle. And really quite simply, it's a series of six different questions that you need to answer as you're making decisions about eating. Because most of diet culture teaches us it's all about what you eat, how much you eat, and how much you exercise. But it ignores why you're eating in the first place. It ignores the effects of restriction and deprivation on our cravings and then our ultimate guilt. 
It ignores how we consume food and what we do with that energy. So what we really focus on are six decision points. Why am I eating? When do I feel like eating? What do I eat? How do I eat it? How much do I eat? And then where do I invest the energy I've consumed? So that model is the consistent element of everything I do, whether I'm speaking on a stage or writing a book or training other health and wellness professionals to offer programs or coaching people myself in a group or individually. It's always based on those six questions. Now, obviously that's the, a very high level look at it, but each of those questions allow us to dive deep into what we're doing and why. And so once I can transfer the awareness of why you're doing what you're doing to you, eventually you are the expert. You, you know what questions to ask yourself. You know how to take that information and run with it. That makes perfect sense. I, so when people are working with their children on eating, I mean, I can speak that sometimes getting them to eat more vegetables or, and I personally do not like saying, if you eat your broccoli, then you can have a chocolate. Like, I don't like to make food a reward. Good. I'll give you a hundred stickers, but I prefer not to give you food as a reward. Yeah. Good um, for you. Good that, for I was going to say, I mean, am, are we on track? Are we messing our kids up? Or? Well, in fact, for me, that was my big aha. That was one of the things that caused me to turn away from dieting and start to use this approach instead. I had two young children who didn't struggle with food at all. They weren't thinking about food all the time like I was. They didn't make foods good or bad. If they didn't like it, they didn't want to eat it. If they loved it, they would eat it, but then they would stop. Whereas if I broke down and ate something I thought I shouldn't, I would have a hard time stopping. So I could see this natural, beautiful, elegant relationship with food that my children had and my husband happened to as well. And I thought, you know what? I think I was born that way too. I think most of us are born with the ability to know when we're hungry, to know when we're full, to eat what we love without obsessing about it, and to then go and use the energy to live our lives, to grow, to develop, to play, to have fun, to learn, and all of these things. Whereas people like myself back then who are yo-yo dieting are spending so much of our time and energy thinking about what we should eat, what we can eat, what we wish we could eat, what we're going to eat when we're off this stupid diet, and then feeling guilty about it and hiding the evidence. I mean, it's so, <laughs> yeah. it's so unhealthy, messed up. And I just thought, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to be like my kids. I don't want to have to obsess about food all the time. So as a parent, one of your jobs is to help your children sustain and maintain their instinctive ability to know when they're hungry and to stop eating when they feel satisfied. This is challenging because we live in an abundant food environment. There's a lot more food than any of us need to eat. So as parents, if we start overriding our kids' abilities to, ability to say, I'm full, then we are teaching them to clean their plate in an environment where we have huge portion distortion and there's a lot more food on our plates than we really need. So one of the key messages I would have for, for parents and, and any caregiver, if your child says they're hungry, 
and you're pretty sure they're not bored, <laughs> then figure out, you know, how to, what fits in with that day's kind of plan to have a snack or, or have their meal. When they say they're full, don't bribe them into eating the rest by rewarding them with dessert or, um, or telling them that there are starving children somewhere, because ultimately, if they lose their ability to know when they've had enough food, and then you send them out into a world for the rest of their lives, trying to figure out how much food to eat, they won't know from the inside out. They'll always be eating what they're given. So do you think that's where people start to have that, that shift of not understanding what it really means to be, okay, I'm not hungry now, and that's okay not to eat, or I am hungry. And do you think it starts at a childhood? I think it starts in childhood for some of us. Um, I think the another place that it starts is when we start dieting. Diets teach us to follow a schedule of eating, an amount of food to eat, what we can and can't eat. And so some of us, and I would say especially women, but men as well, can start to unlearn our own body wisdom by trying to follow restrictive rules from rigid dieting. And then the other component here, and this gets a little into the weeds, which is why I have so many different programs and ways that people can get help, is that some of us, and this was also true for me, some of us at some point in our lives learn to use food for other reasons than hunger. So for example, we might learn to eat because we're bored. That's why I said earlier, if you're pretty sure your child is actually hungry, you know, we might learn to eat for boredom because after all, eating is something to do and it's fun and it tastes good and it brings pleasure and we're distracted for a little while. The problem is as soon as you stop eating, you're bored again, so you have to eat some more. So think of you, your own self, your own behavior. How often do you start grabbing snacks when you're actually just needing something to do. Another biggie, especially for busy moms is stress. I mean, we'll eat to soothe stress or make ourselves feel better or distract ourselves. And so for all kinds of emotional reasons, we might start learning to use food to meet our needs. And of course, in our diet culture, diet culture makes it about the food. You shouldn't eat that. You weigh too much, blah, 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 blah. The real problem is that we're not actually meeting our true needs. The stress is still there. The boredom is still there. The loneliness is there. The anger is still there. The need to celebrate or reward ourselves is still there. All the emotional reasons that caused us to want to eat aren't really resolved by eating, which is why we can eat so much or so frequently and still want more food. I just guess I never thought of it that way, but that's really... That's insightful. And I know tonight when we're eating dinner and doing things, I'm, you know, I'm going to be thinking a little more because we actually do not make our children eat. If, they, if they're not hungry, it's okay. And I will tell you that we have seen and watch people say, well, just eat one more thing or just eat. I mean, because especially my daughter, my daughter's very petite. I think she's like the sixth percentile or something, but it's okay. She eats when she's hungry. She actually eats. She makes great choices. She loves her fruit. She loves her veggies. Again, knock on wood. Hopefully that sustains. She, she doesn't want to eat. I'm not going to make her eat. <laughs> like you're, you're, you're doing exactly the right thing. She has probably always been around the sixth percentile and she will probably always be around. Yeah. The yeah. always be sm- and that's fine. Be, people are a variety of different ages. 
So sometimes smaller children are made to eat because, you know, people are worried. And then sometimes larger children who are naturally on the other end of the spectrum are told not to eat or restricted. And think of the messages that sends to that child. You know, they then they feel like there's something wrong with them or that they, you know, that somehow they they're doing something wrong. And I tell you, I take care of a lot of adults who started getting the message at a very young age that their body was not right. I mean, I, I would say that was even part of my message. Again, not intentionally. Yeah. Parents are doing the best they can, but it's really important to not try to manipulate your child's eating. I, when you're saying this, I, I think of when I was back at a kid, I, I honestly, at a, not now, but at a point in my life, I honestly don't remember a time when I did not think about food during the day or I didn't like, I mean, I was probably dying in sixth grade Yeah. and I, a comment again, it was not out of malicious. It was meant well, you look good if you lose 20 pounds. Absolutely. Ah! Yeah. And then you add, add on to that something like diabetes and that now on top of all of the social pressures, now you've got medical pressures. And so it becomes very complex. I mean, I don't want to oversimplify this. I do want to take a step back though, because I love that you're not forcing your children to eat. That doesn't mean that we don't value time together as a family at the table. Right. So I would still encourage parents, families to have a time at least once a day when you're eating together, even if it's a quick breakfast or, you know, even if it's at, at a fast food restaurant, it, you know, don't get rigid about what this having to be some, you know, perfect meal with, you know, a protein, a vegetable and a starch and everybody all dressed up. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the other really important aspect of eating, which is socialization it's conversation, it's sharing with children about their day. If we start working on them about what they should and shouldn't eat, we lose the social connection that, that's so important when we're trying to help our children develop healthy eating patterns. My, my favorite saying when I was a family doctor was always to parents, you're not raising children, you're raising adults. So what does this behavior look like in an adult form? We need to make sure that we're always thinking long-term about what this, is, what this type of message you're sending or what this behavior your child is exhibiting is going to look like in an adult. You know, one time I had gone to my doctor, it must've been right after my son was born and you know that feeling of like overwhelmed and you just can't do enough and nothing's perfect. And I remember her saying to me, she goes, Melissa, cereal is dinner. And I was like, what? Cereal is dinner. It's okay. It's okay to have cereal for dinner once in a while. It's okay. It's okay. Beautiful. You had a good doctor. That oh, was- she's, she's a rock star. I, <clears throat> she can never retire ever <laughs> until I'm dead. Then she can. <laughs> but that, that's what she said. I mean, I think she was looking at one, my own mental health. Like everything has to be perfect. Like you said, like the two vegetables and the starch and the, oh my gosh, give yourself a nervous breakdown, but then you become stressed and then you start to overeat, I would think. And right. Right. And, and, you know, we we're trying to develop a healthy relationship with food and our children. The last thing they need to see is that mom is freaking out, you know, falls apart at dinner time because there's so much pressure for her to get the food on the table. And it has to look like this or look like that. 
So again, I think the message here is let's back up a little bit and really think about what our intention is. Yes, we want our children to eat a balanced diet, but be careful because if you start saying uh, you have to eat all your vegetables to get dessert, then what you're telling your children is that vegetables are the yucky stuff and you have to eat the yucky stuff to get the reward, the dessert. You're actually giving the exact message that you want to be giving. The message we want is that all foods are important and fun and delicious and part of our diet. And we don't want to, to make vegetables yucky and dessert special. Yeah. Like it's like bringing up all these thoughts. One of the things that our pediatrician or the kid's pediatrician, I should say, recommended to us was you serve the vegetables first and then bring the rest of the meal out. So what we do, because mommy's a little woof, like I'll put broccoli on the table and I'll be like, I hope we don't have any broccoli bandits. That's what we call it, the broccoli bandits. <laughs> and then they think it's the funniest thing to sneak the broccoli. And, and I'm like, where'd the broccoli go? What's happening here? That's and they, they, they think it's hysterical. I'm like, thank you for eating broccoli. <laughs> it's, it's, it's super smart. People are more likely to eat whatever when they're hungry. So right at the beginning of the meal, you're introducing the broccoli. You're not making it punishing. You're making it fun. And, you know, hope, and, and I, you know, I'm not a big, I'm not a big stealth vegetable person because I think hiding vegetables and things can make it more problematic. Now, some kids really do have an aversion. They, they're maybe hyper tasters or things taste really bitter to them that kind of thing where we have to be sensitive to where our children, you know, what their preferences are. Um, but I, you know, some, some parents that were having difficulty with this, I'm like, you know, fruit has pretty much the same nutrient profile as vegetables, <laughs> you know, you, yeah. if you're, you know, instead of making this a battle, try to be more creative in terms of what you're offering so that maybe there'll be more acceptability for your children. Yeah. I mean, I, another thing that has been great for us is that I let my kids cook. My daughter's been cracking an egg since she's been a little over two years old. That girl is like, she's my egg cracker. She really is a huge help. Um, but we, we have them help. We make them part of it. My I son, that. yeah, well, we live in Limington and my, my son's like, I'm making the Limington salad. <laughs> like, it's That's the funniest crazy. thing. I mean, I love it. You know, when my kids were little, um, they're grown now. And I will tell you that what you're talking about will create adults who love to cook, who can feed themselves. Um, actually, mine are both vegetarians now. They love vegetables. It's, it's just become what they do because that's what they grew up with. But I remember when my I remember when my um, son was a toddler, we would put him in his high chair and stick it in the middle of the kitchen while we were making dinner, and we'd give him a job. So one day, my husband gave him a little pile of lettuce leaves, and he says okay, now break this into bite-sized pieces. And he gave him a bowl. We're, we go back to what we're doing. We turn around and Tyler's biting the lettuce <laughs> in the bowl, very literally making bite-sized pieces. <laughs> See, that's on you. That's all on you. <laughs> we were in very, very specific directions. So <laughs> He's a good listener. So that's a great job. <laughs> so what is a way that people, the best way to get in touch with someone like you to see if, you know, if what you offer might be something that's helpful for them, what I'll let you. 
Yeah, you know, I, I think that's a, a great question because although we talked a lot about children, I think the best thing you can do for your children in terms of food is to have a healthy relationship with food yourself. If you can heal your own relationship with food, you don't have to really do anything with your children except stay out of the way and not yeah. mess them up, right? So we do a lot of work um, with mostly with adults, although I do teach a college class about this as well, but right. mostly with adults. So if someone was interested in learning more, I have a ton of free articles and other resources on our website, which is amihungry.com, amihungry.com. In fact, on that very first page, if you scroll down to the bottom, you can download the first chapter of my one of my books, Eat What You Love, Love What You Eat. And that's where you can learn more about the questions I introduced in the Mindful Eating Cycle. So it's completely free. You just go and download that and you'll learn about the questions to ask yourself and to start thinking about how you're making decisions around food and hopefully by learning more about this for yourself, you can begin to uh, share these ideas with your children just through example. That sounds great. And I'll include all that information in the show note links as well. And uh, Michelle, I hope, I hope you'll come back and visit us again because this was so much fun. I would love to. I would love to. It's one of my favorite topics. As a former family physician, I think I think families are such an important element in this relationship with food. And of course, being a mom of grown children, I, I really feel for those of you who are still in the trenches. <laughs> I don't think we need to be making food as hard as it is either for ourselves or for our children. Yeah, no, well, that's, at least I know I'm not completely messing up my kids. So that makes me feel better. <laughs> You're doing some great things. And you know what? None of I did. I made lots of mistakes myself. I mean, we all do. I think as long as children know that you love them, and as long as you're willing to sometimes ask for forgiveness, then they will, uh, you know, they'll grow up just fine. Well, thank you so much. That's great advice. And again, I'm going to include your information so folks can get in touch with you, access your resources and your services, because you have such a, a powerful message for, for adults, as well as adults changing if they need to change habits to influence their kids the best way possible. Thank you so much for having me. Dr. May, thank you for being here. And we'll speak soon. Thank you again. My pleasure. Thanks.